This is an AI Group podcast. In this podcast, we'll be discussing the most significant workplace relations issues over the month of June 2022. The full members-only report is available on our website at aigroup.com.au in the news section under Reports and Policies. On that page, select Workplace Relations. With me today, as usual, to discuss the key aspects of this latest report is Stephen Smith. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Tony. AI Group's Head of National Workplace Relations Policy, and I'm Tony Melville, AI Group's Head of Corporate Affairs. So we're looking this month at the three issues of note, or as many issues of note this month, but three issues we've chosen to focus on today are the annual wage review, Labor's IR policies, uh, federal Labor's IR policies, and paid domestic violence leave, and what's happening there. So Steve, first off, it is the end of June that we're recording this, so at the end of the financial year, and it's a big day for a lot of people in their in their pay offices sorting out the what to pay under the awards. So the expert panel handed down its decision, uh, and uh, can you take us through that, and what are the implications for business? Okay, well, this year the annual wage review was a little more complicated than normal, of course, because. Uh, we haven't seen a headline inflation figure anything like the current one of 5.1% for many years. And, you know, that obviously factored into the uh, expert panel's thinking and, of course, the union claims in the case. Uh, after many rounds of submissions and hearings before the expert panel that uh, AI Group was heavily involved in, they handed down their decision on the 15th of June and they've awarded a, a more complicated uh, uh, increase uh, this year in that um, some award rates, those uh, up to the base trade rate, will be increased by $40 a week, a flat $40 increase, and from the base trade rate upwards, uh, it, w- it will be a 4.6% uh, increase. So those so rates... you're talking to members about that? Has that added a level of complexity that they're concerned about? Well, we will uh, send out and are sending out uh, all of the detailed rates for all of the classifications under the various awards. So it's more uh, a matter of implementing those, but the Commission a decade or so ago, abandoned the idea of flat dollar increases and went to percentage increases. But uh, this year they've got this uh, hybrid approach, which is uh, yeah, is a, a significant departure from recent years at least. So is that something you're expecting to continue or it might have been a one-off post-COVID or something? Uh, it, it's clearly directed at giving the lower paid employees a relatively larger increase than higher paid employees. So hopefully this headline inflation figure of 5.1%, um, even though there's the projections are that it's going to increase a bit more yet, um, the official projections are that it will then fall back to more normal levels. And, and if that's the case, um, I, I think we'll see the Commission awarding a percentage increase again like they uh, have in the past. Well, among our concerns about the pay increase was the potential for it to spread into enterprise bargaining and appeals by unions for inflationary 
pay increases past 5% in all the new agreements. Are we starting to see that happen? Uh, we are, and we warned against this in our submissions in the case, but the Fair Work Commission tends to take the view that because only 23% of the workforce are paid exactly the award rate or the national minimum wage, that those under the bargaining system aren't uh, heavily impacted by the outcome of this case. But I think what has happened since the 15th of June uh, shows that there is a significant impact. Because no sooner did the Commission hand down this decision and the unions were out saying, well, now they want, um, you know, five, six percent or even more under enterprise agreements. You know, so far there's no evidence that they're actually achieving that, but certainly the claims have increased. Okay. So the second item we're going to talk about today is the new Labor government in Canberra and what their plans are. So they've announced a relatively lengthy list of workplace relations changes uh, that it tends to intends to introduce as a priority. So it's such a big um, menu of changes, they won't all happen at, at once. So, and there's also going to be an employment summit, which has been called a skill summit, a job summit, an employment summit. I'm not, not sure if they've settled on a name yet. And that's that was expected in September, and now the thinking is it might be into October. But can we just go through a few of those changes that will happen possibly fairly on, or maybe you could tell us how, how long they will be away. So one of the first ones to be done is to amend the definition of a casual employee in Section 15A of the Fair Work Act to restore the common law definition. This is something we argued around and thought had settled. So what's the what's going to happen there? Uh, well, it's very hard to know exactly what's going to happen because it has been so comprehensively dealt with through legislative amendments and award amendments uh, we now have the certainty that wasn't there for four years or so after the Workpack versus Scheme Federal Court decision and then the Workpack versus Rosato Federal Court and, uh, decision that ultimately went to the High Court. But this whole thing around, you know, what is a casual employee and as someone that works regularly, uh, does that then mean they're not a casual anymore? All of that uncertainty, all the class actions that were being pursued, uh, all evaporated when the previous government amended the Fair Work Act to put this definition into Section 15A um, to define a casual in quite uh, specific terms. All of the awards have been varied to align with that. Uh, and then we had the High Court hand down its decision in the Workpack versus Rosato case that, uh, in effect, largely uh, took the view that the definition in the Fair Work Act is consistent with the common law. So, in a casual, uh, you know, Labor's policy about casual employment is to restore the common law definition. But what does that even mean when we've got okay. uh, arguably the definition already in the Act? So and, and I assume that your and others at AI Group are talking to the government about this or will be, there'll be some period of consultation? Uh, yes, no doubt. But there's no detail at the moment about exactly how the government would intend to amend that definition in 15A. 
and we won't be really in a rush for it to happen anyway, no doubt. So maybe it can, can drag drag along. So another one is to amend the objects of the Fair Work Act to include two new objects, improved job security and improved gender pay. Is that likely to happen early and what are the implications of that? I think that will happen uh, quite early because it's such a, a simple thing to implement, huh? unlike many of the other policy proposals. It's not going to have a direct impact on uh, any particular decisions, but of course, in making decisions uh, under the Fair Work Act, whether they be decisions of the Commission or decisions of courts, the objects um, are important to consider. So you would assume um, with these new objects that the intent is to give the Fair Work Commission and uh, courts uh, the direction that they should give more weight to job security and gender pay equity when they make their decisions about specific uh, other provisions of the Act. Okay, up, up there with casuals, the government and in opposition talked a lot about gig workers and uh, the problems that they saw there. So another one of their commitments is to extend the powers of the Fair Work Commission to include employee-like forms of work to enable the Commission to set minimum standards for contractor platform gig workers. How will they go about that? Um, there isn't any specific detail on this other than that they do intend giving the power to the Fair Work Commission to um, set, uh, I guess you would call it um, industrial instruments for uh, independent contractors of, of different types, but it it is very problematic um, in the sense that, you know, we're really talking about um, wages and conditions uh, being set or prices really and conditions being set for independent contractors. Um, that's not an easy thing to devise given the nature of independent contracting. But also there's the risk, of course, of um, extending far beyond any notion of a gig worker um, you know where does that start and finish you know even if you look at uh, driving uh, operations on roads yeah of course everyone is aware of people who ride bicycles and motorbikes delivering meals but once you start talking about delivery would that bring in parcels would it bring in uh, the delivery of uh, larger products you know does, are we talking about cars trucks um, it, it's potentially going to disturb a whole raft of independent contracting arrangements, but there's a lot of detail, of course, to work through. Indeed. So one that we spoke long and loud about was the trying to retain the Australian Building and Construction Commission, but Labor's committed to getting rid of that and shutting it down. Is that likely to lead to more problems on construction sites? And is that something that can be done very quickly? Uh, it could be done quickly um, if there is the support in Parliament for it, because there is a piece of legislation called the Construction Industry Improving Productivity Act that has the framework for the ABCC you know, much higher penalties for breaches of the law than what are in the Fair Work Act, for example, and uh, the framework for the Federal Building Code that deals with things like the content of enterprise agreements uh, in the construction industry. So if they repeal that act, 
it would all uh, disappear, unfortunately, very quickly. And, and there is major concern from AI Group and you know many, many other bodies uh, what that would mean for uh, industrial relations on building sites. Well, I mean, we saw, we've seen over many years, the CFMU in particular face very large fines that don't, don't seem to put them off, but, but maybe they do reduce some of the action. So will that sort of thing stop happening? Will the fines still not happen anymore when there's no ABCC? Well, I think there'll be a lot less of that because here we have a regulator that's specifically focused on the construction industry without the ABCC. There's still the Fair Work Ombudsman whose job it is to make sure that workplace laws are complied with, but they don't have the focus and the resources on the construction industry that the ABCC's got. And also, as I mentioned, the specific piece of legislation has much higher penalties. So, you know, even the very high penalties that are being imposed on the, the CFMEU are not having the required impact. So if there's suddenly a third of that, then the problem's going to be worse. Yeah, okay. So we've also got plans to implement criminal offences for wage theft, as the government calls it, and actually the previous government called it as well. But um, so how will that work? Is that Will that be copying some of the things that have been happening in the states and territories? Yes, we, we've got um, so-called wage theft legislation in Victoria at the state level and in Queensland. But there, you know, there are lots of uh, issues of detail in this area as well. You know, there's deliberate and intentional acts where, you know, there are a very small number of em employers, uh, you know, not reputable employers deliberately underpay and, and those employers deserve to be penalised very harshly. But, you know, once you move away from deliberate intent, there's all sorts of other circumstances where people might make a genuine error or they might interpret an award in uh, a way that proves to be incorrect and uh, you know how these laws end up panning out uh, it, it's going to be very important to watch and for our oh, group fairness yeah. into the process yes our group getting involved in that but the we've just seen the minimum wage go up in a very complicated way you can sort of see from that you've got I've, I've had spoken to members myself who are saying they've got a hundred different employees on all on different pay scales and you can just see the frustration of people so hopefully it, it's not going to pick up people like that who just don't, don't accidentally do accidentally do the wrong thing yes um, so another one last one just of these and there's many and you can find them all on uh, in the significant issues um, paper that we put out uh, implement all 55 recommendations of the Sex Discrimination Commissioner's Respect at Work report, including the statutory reporting for, by employers of sexual harassment in their workplaces. So that, that's one that I imagine they will move on fairly quickly too and will have big implications for employers. Yes, they, the previous government already moved on quite a few of the recommendations in the Respect at Work report. But the one that has been debated uh, most in recent times is whether there should be a positive duty on employers to prevent sexual harassment in the workplace. Uh, AI Group's view is that's not needed because uh, we have very tough laws at the moment at the federal and state level 
where employers need to do everything that they reasonably can to avoid uh, sexual harassment in their workplaces. And if they don't do that, then they are exposed to penalties. So uh, we don't see a need for a new statutory duty. Um, but, you know, that is something that the current government is uh, very committed to. Okay, we'll be pushing that, no doubt. So just the final of the three big issues, but also this last one on um, it relates to a decision of the full bench of the Fair Work Commission last month, and it was a provisional view that all modern awards should be varied to include an entitlement to up to 10 days per annum of paid family and domestic violence leave for full-time employees. So, but I believe that just as we were starting to record this, there have been a, a change to all of that. What's what's happening in Canberra? Uh, yes, we're recording this podcast on the 30th of June. And in fact, just today, there's been a significant development here. Um, as you said, Tony, the uh, full bench of the commission decided that, um, you know, provisionally decided that there should be 10 days of paid family and domestic violence leave put into all modern awards as an entitlement. Now, what has changed is the new Labor government, they have a policy of uh, implementing the same entitlement effectively in uh, to the Fair Work Act as a national employment standard. Uh, the government has written to the Commission and advised that they will be introducing legislation to implement this early in the sitting period beginning on the 26th of July. I'm faced with that uh, announcement by the government. Uh, the Commission has decided to vacate the directions that it had issued for the filing of submissions and uh, the finalisation of the case and uh, await the uh, developments uh, in the Parliament on, on this issue. Okay, so there's a lot of, lot, of, lot of work to come out of that from Canberra. So I might wrap it up there. Thank you, Stephen Smith, the AI Group's Head of National Workplace Relations Policy. You can find the significant issues briefing on all the significant workplace relations issues of the past month for members only at aigroup.com.au. And that's all for now. I'll see you next time.